0: Right. I Are mean, we good, buddy? You can hear me? Excellent. If you can hear me, we'll be good. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. And uh, I'm always excited to be up here. And I hadn't planned this, but I've shared this story before. I'll say it again, because uh, it's one that I'm going to re- kind of point out to, towards the end, uh, because we're talking of well, freedom, the freedom of God, the freedom that we have in Christ. And uh, that's why this thing of the soldier is so relevant. And uh, You'll see why I've chosen this as we go along, but I want to add a little caveat right at the top on uh, what I mean when I talk about freedom. And for those of you who remember this story, forgive me. For those of you who don't, um, well, I'll pray for you. And if the story is new to you, then great. All right, so, so you, it, it must be British. Any Britishers here? Anyone? Oh, Rob and Julia. How could I miss you guys? Yeah. There are a few of us. So this guy must have been British. He's walking down the street and he's twirling his umbrella as he goes. And uh, and this guy comes to him and says, you know, you better stop doing that because you're going to knock someone's eye out or you're going to hurt someone. And and he says, well, it's a free country, isn't it? At least I'm hoping Britain is free. Um, Yeah, they are, Brexit and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it's a free country. I can do whatever I like. And he says, you're Right. But your freedom ends where my nose begins. Right? So when I talk about the freedom of God, I'm not talking about a freedom that has no boundaries. I'm not talking about a freedom that allows us to do any and everything we want. And I've been sitting and spending some time around uh, two books, Galatians and Colossians, and this one line in Galatians really, really caught me. And so I started building some teaching for myself around that. And it ended up becoming this preach. But this is where it all started for me. It says this, and I'll refer to it again further on. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. And here's the line that caught my attention. To them, we did not yield in submission, even for a moment. As you can imagine, we are in the book of Galatians. We'll spend some time there, but the focal point of what I'm sharing is coming from chapter 5. Let's, let's read that together. I'm going to read it from here because it's backlit and it's a little brighter than this. For, Christ, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. a little, a little background, Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia, which is uh, present-day Turkey, and there's an issue that has arisen in the church, which is, this is a young church and they, they, they're exploring their theology and they're exploring their freedom in God, and uh, and then there's a bunch of people who come in and said, and these are of the Jewish persuasion, who say, well, if you really want to love God, if you want to guarantee or ensure your your salvation and your freedom, then you, you need to get circumcised now I know that that seems like a minor thing right? uh, painful but minor, but here's Paul speaking quite strongly against this, and he 's offended by it, and you see that he he writes about it to them, and he says this right at the top of Galatians he reminds the Galatian church. He says this. Grace to you and peace from our God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. So he's, he's established that our freedom is the work of the cross. Right at the top, he's talking of what we have in Christ through the work of the cross. And yet, He's reminding them of their previous state. Further down, he says, "You were slaves," and his language is incredibly strong. Let me let me look at this. Here we are. This is easier for me. Reminded them of previous state. He says, "Slaves to weak and worthless elementary principles of the world." What, what a way to describe it? This is, this is what you are: weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. And my knots go off. I hate when this happens. It will come back on at some stage. Sorry? Yeah, yeah. Anyways, right? But he, he speaking against his Jewish folks who come and say, well, we want Gentile believers to be circumcised. And I want you to understand something here. We are in a bit of a battle. I am going to clarify that further down the line. But for now, I want to share an illustration of a, a gentleman by the name of Daniel Webster. He was a soldier during World War II. And this is what he says. He wrote to his mum, Daniel Webster, easy company of the 101st Airborne, wrote to his mother. Stop worrying about me. I joined the parachutists to fight. I intend to fight. If necessary, I shall die fighting. But don't worry about this, because no war can be won without young men's dying. Those things which are precious are saved only by sacrifice. And often scripture refers to this Christian walk that we are on this journey as a war, a spiritual battlefield. And and Daniel Webster understood that there is no victory apart from sacrifice. And so that's what I meant, that sometimes in order to maintain our freedom, there are certain battles that must be fought. There are certain skirmishes and it must be understood that the war for freedom was already won. I'm not saying that we are fighting that war again. That war was won on the cross. We have it, but we still have a few... It's almost like an enemy who, who refuses to sign the peace accord. You know, there are a few skirmishes from time to time. and uh, I, I can't quite remember it. I might be getting it wrong. If anyone knows the story, forgive me. But after World War II was over, right, many, many years after and, uh, the world had moved on, and they found this Japanese gentleman hidden in the jungles of Burma, I think Myanmar now, uh, Burma. And uh, when people came upon him, he was there with an old Enfield 303 rifle, ready to defend himself. He wasn't even aware that the war was over. He'd been hiding in the jungle for years and years, thinking that the war was still going on. And that's sometimes the enemy is like that. The enemy may not be quite aware that the war is won. But there are skirmishes we fight in our battle for freedom. And that's what we are talking about. I want to ask you this question. In in this process, the church today faces many issues. And why I asked Petrus to share that word was the emphasis that it laid. Yes, you are soldiers, but your weapon is the word of God. And today we face so many issues in the life of the church. Uh, The global issues, and I'm not going to comment on them, I'm just going to highlight some of these debates that are going around. Debates on, well, can a homosexual be a part of the laity or the priesthood? Are women priests allowed, scripturally? What on earth is open theism? And what on earth is the hyper-grace gospel? These are debates and issues that are raging around the church, and they're not ones, perhaps they've got different names, And different labels. But these battles have been won right throughout. And these are the things that cause us to lose our freedom. And if we are to maintain our freedom. If we are to be in this battle. And ensure that we retain our freedom. Then we must understand what the word of God has to say about it. What does the word of God have to say about life in general to us? And Paul asked the question here. And he asked the question from the Galatians. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? What a question! Just after this whole uh, passage on freedom, and remember, I'm reading from chapter five. He's gone through this through four chapters, and he's in his closing argument, and he says, "Well, who hindered you from knowing the truth?" The reality is that the only hindrance to obeying the truth often is our understanding of the truth, because we don't understand the truth. We don't understand the difference between grace and law, and this is not a preach on the law, so I won't say this. Except that I'll say, what during the worship, there was this thought that just dropped into my head." And I made a note of it because it's going to be a great preach line one day. And it's this, that the law engages our works. And so the law requires, well, stand here, worship here, don't go beyond that curtain, stay within this courtyard, wave this, cut that, chop this. That was the law. It was all external and it all engaged our works. But grace engages the heart. Grace concerns an attitude of our hearts. And that's where our freedom begins in the attitude of our heart. So we begin. We got to ask ourselves, if we are not to yield, even for a moment, in submission, much like Paul writes, then we must know, we must know, what is right and what is wrong. To begin with, let's ask ourselves, well, what is freedom? That's an interesting question, isn't it? What does freedom look like to you? Remember the story I started with. It's not a freedom that is without boundaries. But when we ask most people, well, what is freedom? It's actually the desire to be autonomous, the desire to be independent, to be able to make decisions for ourselves. And that's what freedom has often been defined as. It's, we want to be able to do as we like, whenever we like, however we like, and to or with whomever we like. That's, that's the common definition of freedom. And yet... This is where the problem begins. You get Thomas Huxley, who was a scholar, he was uh, an educationist. A lot of our current curriculum is, uh, and the subjects we study were actually defined by him way back in the early 1900s. And uh, he's an interesting character. If you read up about him, he, he left school when he was 10 years old. He's uh, what he's described as an autodidactic, self studied, studied entirely by himself. He's also an agnostic. He believes that God cannot be proved and therefore. Well, it's worthless trying. But he said this, and that's an interesting quote for me. He said this, a man's worst difficulties begin when he's able to do as he likes. That's the truth. Freedom without boundaries does lead to anarchy. At the very outset, I want you to understand this, and I said it at the top, I'll say it again, that the freedom Paul is describing is not the freedom or right to do as we please, but it is the opportunity to please, to do what is right. It is not a freedom that has no boundaries. It is a freedom that has broad boundaries within which we we operate. And I want to say this also. And uh, here is a description for you. We, uh, Michelle and I met with a lady a few, well, Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning we met with a lady to pray and uh, she's going through some stuff and she asked me this question. She said, well, do I need to do penance? And uh, I said, no, well, you really don't. What do I need to do? I said, nothing. You just need to receive the gift of God and it's free. But the truth is that the issue with the Galatian church that Paul was addressing is more than just a question of, well, what do I need to do? It's more than a question of, well, should I or should I not be circumcised? It's actually a question of where we, and it's relevant to us today, we still in many areas in our lives try to win the freedom of God or earn the freedom of God or enhance the freedom of God through our own activities, through, through our own moral coin that we feel, okay, I've done, I've done this and this and this, I've been good today, so now I can do that. You know, it's, uh, it's like you eat, you eat a McDonald's hamburger and it's like 700 calories for that five dirham cheeseburger thing. And, uh, and so you think, okay, I, I worked out at the gym, I did X number of uh, kilometers on the exercise and I walked on the treadmill for so long. I lost 1,000 calories, so now I can go and eat a hamburger because it's only 700. I'm all right. And so we think that we have this moral coin to bargain with God or to, or to, or to twist God's arm because we felt, okay, I did. I went to church, I, I was a part of the serving crew, I, I serve faithfully. And, and guys, please do that. We do need people like that. They are faithful in their service to God, but there is no way that there is that God is some kind of a a banker with checks and balances and he's like, okay, you've deposited X amount of hours into your credit, now you can go sin like crazy for an hour. It's not that kind of freedom where we can bargain and that's the issue here that Paul is dealing with. It's not should I be or should I not be circumcised, but that we try in our own effort to fulfill that thing that is required for freedom. And he says, no, you don't need to. Freedom's free. It's the work of the cross. It's available to us simply by the grace of God. There is no requirement for anything else. And he uses strong language to deter them. He says this, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Imagine that. Imagine all the work of the cross. And he saying, if you go down this path, then you are under obligation To fulfill the whole law. And Christ is of no advantage to you. Pick one or the other. You can't do both. There is no requirement. There is no necessity for both. Grace is free. Receive it. Your freedom is free. Receive it. And you can walk in that. And it's great to know that we are so free here. Feel free to shout out an amen if this resonates with you. But uh, don't feel that it's a religious requirement. Either. (laughs) Yeah, the problem with them was that they were attempting to add to the work of the cross. And Paul continues in the same strong language. If you try to earn our freedom through our own efforts, here's what it says. Chapter 2 and verse 21, he says this, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law or through effort or self-effort, then Christ died for no purpose. And that's the truth, that soon as we try to add to the work of the cross, soon as we feel that we must do something to earn God's favor, we nullify the work of the cross. It is, Christ is of no advantage to us. And so we rest in this thing of knowing. And I had uh, part of the conversation with that lady, I was, was trying to describe this thing of, well, grace to her. And I said, she has a son, I said, listen, what happens? Your son has certain freedoms in the home. Am I right? He has the freedom to walk into any room of the house anytime he wants. He has the freedom to walk into the kitchen, right? Where's my son? He's around here somewhere. He's left the house. You don't have that freedom anymore. Return the house key, right? (laughs) And and, uh, he has the freedom to, and I'm very careful with this, walk into the house at any time, open the fridge, grab whatever he likes. He has that freedom. So say one day that your son misbehaves. Is he any less your son? No, he's not. Do you love him any less? No. There are certain consequences because you overstepped your boundaries but within that you have all the freedom to explore and do anything you like. And those boundaries are often there for a reason. It's why windows are locked. Particularly if you're staying in a high-rise building and you have little kids. Because that's a boundary. You don't want them opening the window and leaning too far out. And it's for their safety. But they're free within that. Verse 4, Paul continues, same language. He's warning the Galatian church and us today to stand fast. And that's why I, want, I use the thing of a freedom fighter. That language that undergirds Paul's message, stand fast, be strong. This is, well, tough words. And we need to be muscled up in our understanding of scripture. If we are to stand firm, when the enemy comes... Do you remember those moments when Jesus was taken out into the desert and he was tempted? What happened? Each time something came to him, he said, it is written. Because you need to have an understanding of the word of God in order that we do not submit or yield to any and everything that comes our way. Different truths, different theologies, different doctrines. But if we are not firm in our understanding and we stand firm in our understanding of the word, then we are going to be swayed by every doctrine and we lose our freedom in that process. And he continues this, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by law, you have fallen away from grace. What language? What language? And today, you know, you preach in that, if you convert that into a slight modern language, right, and if I were to preach like Paul wrote and said, you foolish Galatians, you guys would be pretty offended with me. And yet, look at this language, because there's an urgency in him. He says, I birthed you with labor pains. And I'm like, shh, I'm not sure I want to do that. Right? But, can you see the intensity in the language? He says, what on earth is wrong with you? you? Do you not realize that when you step into the law, you are severed from Christ? The work of the cross is nullified. You have, no, you have fallen away from grace. And if you take upon yourself the yoke of the law, the burden of the law, then you are obligated to fulfill all of it. And that's a problem. It was for freedom. Christ has set us free. And we want to benefit from the grace that is available. What, this, what he's trying to teach us is this. I want to read this right, because it took me a while to write it, and I wrote it a couple of times. The experience of freedom, including the freedom of eternal life, can only be enjoyed as we depend on the grace of Christ. Slavery is what happens when you fall away from the power of grace. The key to freedom is to keep depending on grace. Look at that line. Grace is like a powerful king who exerts his reign in the lives of Christians. I could preach this message and walk away from here and you might be asking yourself the question, well, what on earth does freedom look like? I asked the question already, what does real freedom look like? What is, how do I enjoy grace in my life on a day-to-day basis? And these are practical realities. We, we use these words of freedom and grace uh, liberally from here, but if you have no clue of what that looks like or how you live that out, then I have failed. And here's what I want you to share, to share. Grace is the work of God. It is the powerful work of God. It's a powerful king. And it's exerted in your day-to-day life. It's for now. It's for today. It's for living out the life that God has called us to today. 1 Corinthians Paul says this, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And if we are to live this life of freedom, then the grace of God becomes an urgent necessity for that. Excuse me, half a minute there. I get excited about this and I can see that so many of you are excited here, so many smiling faces. I'm not the Lion King. But I can bring him up here. He's right here. If you want want a little break from this. We are drawing to a close. Galatians 5.4 What does Paul say? You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. And what he's implying is that our freedom then depends on the grace of God. Our experience in daily, the grace of God. It means that, you know, can I do this? If you, how many of you have little children here? Okay, so you will you, understand this. When you have little children and they played with their toys, and uh, how many of you at one time or another you were little children? Okay, some of you. That's also good. Right, now you understand this. When, When you're little or you have little kids and they're playing with their toys, you can say, listen, when you finish playing with your toys, you're done by seven, put everything in the box, and then you go to bed. That's the law. What grace does is, the father or the mother will step down there and help the children put their toys away. That's what grace does. Christ didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill it. And the grace of God is where the Spirit of God steps into our lives and helps us to put our toys away. Helps us to get things in order. Helps us to stay in line with the word of God. That's the grace of God in our lives. I hope that was helpful, that little illustration. So it's true, it's the spirit and by faith. And I'm not saying that of myself. If you continue there, look at this. Right? Let me find that verse here. Verse 5. I need to turn this around because it's dark up here. Okay. Verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. What does it mean to live the freedom life? It's through the Spirit, by faith. Through the Spirit, by faith. I love that. We cannot live this life on our own, it cannot be done. And here's what it says romans 5 1 therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ now i want you to understand we already are justified that's the work of the cross the righteousness of christ has already been imputed to us but we are waiting because on the day of judgment on the day of jesus's return something else happens something happens which is that this process of sanctific- sanctification that we're walking through comes to its completion and suddenly you are totally and utterly and completely righteous in the eyes of God it's done the work is completed but at this point in time we're walking through a process of sanctification it's slip fall stand get up go move forward and that is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives otherwise we're going to struggle we cannot enjoy the freedom of God except through the Spirit by faith and that's what Paul is highlighting here If you want to live that life, then we need to do it. Now, here's the thing. Even the Judaizers, those people who were trying to get the Gentiles to be circumcised, even they were waiting for righteousness. They were eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness too. They were also waiting for this. We are all doing that, but the reality is you have the choice to do that. Either you wait as a slave or you wait as a free man. I would much rather wait in freedom. I would much rather wait in freedom. Not that my freedom, right? Uh, because Paul writes and he says this, so where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. But do we then continue to sin? No, we don't. Our freedom is not license to sin. Our freedom is not a license to live a life that pleases us. It's a life lived that pleases and honors God. And that's where we are coming from. And so even the Judaizers are waiting, but we have a choice, we can wait in freedom. You can bring self-imposed rules upon yourself. You can like that lady, say, well, do I need to do penance? No. If we mess up in life, the Holy Spirit is with us. If we mess up in life, we just say, Lord, can you forgive me today? And his answer is always yes. And we move on. Free. Free from burdens. There's a little boy who uh, accidentally, uh, he threw a stone and he killed one of the family flock of geese. So he killed one of those and he thought to himself, well, one out of 24, maybe they'll not notice. And he quietly buried that little, uh, that goose or whatever and went on with life. But his sister saw him. And so she goes to that little boy and says, well, buddy, you're washing the dishes today. Or else I'll tell mom. And he says, okay. And he's washing the dishes. And this goes on for a few days and he's washing the dishes until one day she says, you're washing the dishes today. He says, no, I'm not. And she says, I'll tell mom. And he says, well, you can. I already told her and she forgave me. You don't need to wash the dishes. Live in freedom. Live in freedom. And that's through the spirit by faith. Well, that's the spirit path. So, that illustration of the toy is to say that our God is not a God who stands aloof. He's not afar off, and He's given us this set of rules and regulations, and we, we try to live life by them. And He's waiting there with His baseball bat, and if you don't do this, pow! And, uh, it's not. He's not that. He's with us, and He says, "I'll walk this journey with you. Whatever you go through in life, I am there, and there's freedom for you in that." He's not going to say, listen, when you're done and you come to me, let's look at how well you did. It's like, no, no, it's not what you did, it's what I did. And that's why he sends a word through the prophet Zechariah, and he says, it's not by my mind by power, but by my spirit. But there's a part that we play too. Freedom has two, two facets. One is, there's God's part, which is the spirit, and then there's our part, the exercise of our faith. One coin, two sides. Galatians 3.5 reminds us of this. And he shows us how these two come together in life. Here's what he says. "Does uh, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? If we rely on God. If we put our faith in God, if we trust in God, if we take stock and take note and put our faith in the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead who lives now in you and we learn to live that life, it's a life of freedom. It's a life where we're no longer striving and struggling and trying to impress God. It's a life where we live just say thank you for what you have done for us. But I also want to say this, that faith is not a one-off thing. It's not a past decision. It's not, okay, I had faith and I received salvation, now I'm done. It's not that. It's an ongoing thing. It's a way of life. It's what God calls us to. And so the currency of freedom with its two sides, one the souring work of God, the other our response in faith, calls us to a life of total and utter reliance on God. We rely on Him. It's beautiful that you can say, I'm standing here, not by my own strength, but by what he's doing. I'm just simply sharing what's in scripture here. It's the spirit of God that's working to deposit something in your lives today. There's no pressure on me for it. But it is a life that is distinctively free. A life that calls us to remove the yoke of this world and its expectations and the peer pressure that comes with it, and the desire to be cool and be accepted, it removes all of that and says, I only want to impress one person in my life, God. I only want to submit to one person in my life, God. And if I please Him, then everything else is alright. That's where our freedom lies. For freedom, Christ has set us free, stand fast therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of freedom. Stand fast. Be the freedom fighter. Do you mind rising with me?